Hey there, folks. Alex Lokes here, and we have made it to the end of another year. And 2021 has been another weird one, but most importantly, we're going to do a throwback. And we're going to do a throwback all the way to episode one. That's right. We are revisiting Workhorse Cameras. Welcome to the Classic Camera Revival, coming to you from the Greater Toronto-Hamilton region of Ontario, Canada. If you don't have gear acquisition syndrome now, you most likely will by the end of the episode. So, um, just before we started recording this, I took a look back at our uh, very first episode on our uh, episode notes and realized how much of a podcast we have actually grown. There are only two original hosts left on the team, and that's uh, John Meadows and myself. And it's funny because the same cameras keep on coming up over and over and over again. So we've decided we're going to revisit the idea of workhorse cameras. These are cameras and lenses that just always work. They never fail. We would bring them to Mount Doom and back, and they would keep on working. So... John, your original workhorse camera that you presented in episode one was the uh, Mamiya M645 Pro. Now, since then, that has changed. So what are your workhorse cameras today? Well, and this may surprise some people because we've had discussions in, in the recent past about ergonomic eccentricities, etc. But for me, if I want an image that I know is going to have image quality, where quality is the most important thing, I'm going to reach for my Hasselblad because of the of the lenses. Like, you know, the Zeiss, yeah, it's nice at twice the price, but it's still, the uh, to my mind, the best lenses there are. And part, now it's also, I'll admit, it's horses for courses. If I have to, if I was shooting event photography or let's say theater stuff, which I've done in the past, no, it's not the camera. But if I'm shooting film and I just want the next best thing to view camera quality, I'm going to shoot the Hasselblad. Something else I like about the Hasselblad, and you know, which is a consideration in um, in this part of the globe, is I can shoot the Hasselblad, and I have shot the Hasselblad when it is mind-numbingly, or other part of the body anatomy, numbingly cold, and it has not died. Like uh, a few, I th- we may have mentioned it before, but a few years ago, Bill and I went out on January 1st to uh, to Bluffers Park in uh in eastern toronto to do some shooting and it was not a warm day it was very very bright but it was it was cold eh, bill yeah it was like oh minus 20 and sadly my workhorse camera that i chose sadly doesn't perform in the cold below minus 10 all that well but for everything else it performs great but we'll get to that in a second yeah Yeah. that was one evil cold day and the hasselblad just kept going um, and what I also like about like in that, like the stubborn sweet it was yes, and what I also like about the Hasselblad is you know it's a camera that you want to buy multiple backs for because mm. if there's one thing that's not fun on a freezingly cold winter's day is having to take your gloves off to load to reload a camera. Yep. Whereas with the Hasselblad, you just keep slapping magazines on because you loaded them all at home. And I was very, very happy with the results. I've had other cameras. I had an RZ67, did not like the cold weather. I've had digital cameras that just stopped working. 
when the temperature gets below a certain so if if I felt if I felt that no matter how bad how cold it was you need to get the shot I would reach for the Hasselblad Okay, just don't slap the back. Oh, on yeah, the yeah, back okay. Because like then that becomes a rather expensive. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, repair uh, and allow me some artistic license. Yes, I know you move. You you move the little lever. Catch it. Yeah, you move the, the catch slightly and then you put it. Yes. In. Yes, yeah. but sometimes you just have to slap it because it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like slapping a box in its ass, right? No. Oh dear you. Yeah, you, uh, uh, I see a trend of Jamie is really starting to. I'm gonna have to up my game because Jamie's getting really good at uh, at the whole filter. Hurry up your thing. ABV. Yeah. Well, not in the first date. Um, so so yeah, and and the thing about the Hasselblad is I like the fact that it does not have electronics because get, we're getting to a point where a lot of electronic cameras they're just a sudden death waiting to happen. Yep. So so yeah, it may be controversial because it's it's not a fast shooter, it's not ergonomically precise, it's not for running and gunning, but when you absolutely positively want a high quality image and you prepare yourself and you've learned the camera and its foibles, then hard to beat a Hasselblad. Um, but what what about when it comes to thirty five millimeter? What would be your uh, camera of choice? Okay, for me, I think at this point. I might say something weird and go with the OM system, mm. just because. Good choice. Um, a, the ones I have work as long as you have fresh batteries in them. They're transparent; they don't get in the way. And if you're in a fast-moving situation where you need the shot, I feel like I'm going to get the shot with them. I don't have to think about what I'm doing. At my age, thinking becomes more of a challenge every day. So you want cameras that are basically just an extension of your eye and your brain because workhorse means you're working. You That's need right. to get the shot. Yep. And I feel with the OM system, again, as long as I have batteries or I'm using an OM-1, I will get the shot, and that's important. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to uh, professional photographers in our group, probably the only one in our uh, merry little game that can actually uh, take the uh, title of professional, as in earned a lot of his income from it, is uh, James Lee. So what are your choices? All right. Well, I, I will say that um, my first workhorse choice would have been the Hasselblad as well, but I'm going to talk about another sort of second-place workhorse camera in the medium format uh, category. But before I get into that, by far when it comes to film for me and the, and the type of professional photography that I do is uh, is got to be the F6. And the reason why it's the F6 is because everything just works day in, day out. It's, it's dependable. It's constructed really well. The metering, which is, I think, paramount when it comes to shooting professionally. So all you really need to do as a professional is think about composition uh, and talking to your subjects if you're shooting people or what what have you, and you just expect the metering to be spot on. Mm-hmm. Now, I say that with a grain of salt. Don't get me wrong. When I say metering is spot on, I don't mean it's going to meter in auto mode or professional mode for, you know, P for professional. I shoot an M. M is for master, by the way. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, <clears throat> But when I say that the metering has to be spot on is I need to depend on that meter reading so that I can compensate accordingly. Mm. So the compensation is subjective to me as the photographer, but my starting point 
has to be nailed if I'm going to go one way or the other on the exposure spectrum. Uh, in, I'm not going to get into reviewing the camera. Um, we've reviewed the F6 several times. There's a gazillion reviews out there. You know, you either love the F6 or you hate the F6. I mean, I, I, I don't really, you know, aside from, you know, Bill's experience with the Helena, um, you know, <laughs> I don't really hate cameras out there. They're, you know, every camera's got a good side and a bad side to it. The F6 works for me. Yeah, I'm a bit of a Nikon fanboy. Um, but ergonomically, it is just an extension of my eyes more so than my hands. My hands are sort of, yeah, there. But for me, photography, the challenge about photography really exists in, you know, taking what's in your mind's eye, sprinkling it with a little bit of what's in your in your heart, and putting that into your hands. And the easier that you can get it into your hands, the more of a workhorse camera it is for me. So I think there's really three elements when it comes to uh, a camera being considered a workhorse. One is dependability, um, accuracy, and then ergonomics. And if you have the, those three well-balanced, that's going to be a workhorse for you. So for me in the 35 millimeter range, F6, nothing works better for me. Um, the Minolta Maxim 9, very, very close second in the 135 uh, range uh, or category. Both just really good cameras. Uh, you know, in terms of, um, of uh, medium format, um, the two, the top two for me would be the Hasselblad 500 series. Just sure, sheer image quality uh, and, and lens construction and dependability. Yes, it has its quirks. The other one um, is the Pentax 67 II not the Pentax 67. Um, the reason I say the 67.2 is because the 67.2 is an electronic camera. It went through a pretty there's, major... There's been two versions before it. There's the 6X7 yes. and the 6.7. Yeah, neither and of then those. then the 6.7.2. Yeah. The one I'm referring to is the 67.2. Yes, the big electronic tank um, that has the grip on the right-hand side of the camera. Um, that, you know, uh, it's a chiropractor's dream, um, <laughs> you know, wet dream. Um, but, uh, you know, and, you know, old guy's nightmare chi equals chiropractor's wet dream. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, the reason I really love that camera <laughs> is, is the glass is extremely good. You know, like certain, certain pieces of glass are really, really good. You know, uh, you know, I shoot portraits, so it's the 105, uh, glass that, that you know, uh, the 105 2? The 105 2, yeah. Uh, the 2.4. 2.4, sorry. Yes. yes. The 105 2.4. Um, excellent piece of glass. Um, mm. The reason I really like the camera is because, again, the meter is accurate. It has, um, I think, three different metering modes. It's got spot, center, and matrix. Matrix, yeah. Um, and uh, it has exposure compensation. So um, it's in terms of, like, when you're shooting professionally, efficiency is really one of the things that you have to think about. Because especially if you're doing event photography, any type of photojournalism, uh, portraiture, People are dynamic. Your subjects are dynamic. If you're shooting, if you're shooting landscape or architecture, the only dynamic element is likely your light changing. Yeah, buildings um, don't complain. Yeah, um, so you really need to react quickly. So for me, having exposure compensation, being able to switch metering modes really quickly, having dependable functionality and metering, um, and of course, high quality images is really what makes those two cameras mm. uh, really stand out in the workhorse category for me. But like I said, there are two very, very close seconds. So, and again, at the end of the day, it's got to be what works for you. Absolutely. Bill. 
Okay. I am a Nikon fanboy. And I'm okay with that. If you got a problem, well, go talk to John. <laughs> He'll set you straight. Oh, dear. So, the Nikon F2. Now, that is... And again, Michael, a certain Mike Garman goes on about Pentax being the working man's camera. I'm going to counter. I think the Nikon F2 is the working man's camera because a working photojournalist will be out there in some scuzzy part of the world covering the event for the New York Times, Washington Post, London Times. Uh, name, big name newspaper there. Just They're don't step on the landmine. Yeah, just don't step on landmines, that sort of thing, or hit trip a claymore. Uh, they're doing it on a Nikon F2 with a motor drive, most likely. I'm not a fan of motor drives on F2s because they're just boat anchors. I think the Nikon F4 kind of got it right there where it's all built in and you don't have to worry about it. But the F2, what's so great about it? Well, it's one to two thousandth of a second camera. Uh, it takes silver oxide batteries, so you can get, find those at any drugstore supermarket supermarket like i can get my energizer 357s at my local longos uh i have mine paid uh my f2as i have right in front of me uh paired with a uh ai converted nikkor sc514 lens it is a lovely workhorse combo i have done a variation um shooting bands when i was younger uh back when i could stay up late um these days, it's more like they have been. Uh, the cameras have been on me with photo walks, hikes in northern Muskoka. Uh, they're great for landscape because you got mirror lockup, which is what you want when you want to do landscapes. Um, there's not much you not to like about the F2. They are still relatively reasonable, if, depending on which one you're getting. Um, and again, it's like a platform camera, so it's like you can change at the meter heads, you can change at the focusing screen, and of course you can change at the lenses. What's not to love? Mm. And what about medium format? Medium format, um, Roliflex 3.5F Type 2. Hmm. And you're going to say, well, why that specific one, Bill? Because I used to have a Hasselblad. And it was more of a hassle than a blad. Uh, Brian Kiparici uh, from Niagara region was looking for a Hasselblad 500CM. I was looking, oh, you've got a 3.5F. It's recently overall. It's got a bright screen. Would you like to trade? He was keen go. and eager. And I basically handed off my kit for that for his 3.5F Roliflex at a Starbucks in Vineland. There we go. And I have been a happy lad ever since because Patriots eat your heart out. Yeah. And it just really um, is a camera, medium format camera that works. It has a form factor of roughly 40 millimeters. If you're looking at th a 35 millimeter, it is Zeiss glass. So it's sharp enough. It will cut your eyes if you're not too careful. Uh, and again, it will deliver you 12 exposures, uh, provided you can read the light correctly, uh, just perfection. And even then, you could probably rescue a few of them in Lightroom if you are that sloppy with exposure. <laughs> and Jess, now, uh, and what do you reach for? If you had to go and shoot a band, what cameras would you take off your shelf? Absolutely, hands down, the Canon F1. That camera uh, has just been my go-to camera for many years now, um, especially paired with the 50 millimeter uh, F1.4 lens. 
that combination is just fantastic. Uh, it's yes, it's a little heavy, but um, I'm not really scared of heavy cameras. So that's a camera that I will always grab, even though I do really love my OM series as well. Like John mentioned, uh, some really good ones there. Um, but for me, yeah, definitely the F1, it will not die. I shot outside in winter and minus 10 minus 20 degrees and the a1 battery i have to like keep swapping it in and out of my pocket to keep it warm to keep that camera still going the f1 i don't need to uh the battery that's in there yes it's one of the ones that takes those mr9 adapters um but you know they're relatively easy to find and it really only runs the meter anyways so at absolute worst i could just have an external light meter and I'm ready to go anyways uh, and it's just a fantastic camera love it and for your medium format this one's probably not a shocker to anyone it's the Mamiya RB67 color uh, me surprised <laughs> I know no. I know imagine that mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah that camera is another one that I always always gravitate to um, I'm more of a landscape shooter uh, so it's funny because James was talking before about being more of like a fast shooter when you're doing portraits and weddings and stuff so for me I prefer the slow down approach and take my time hike through the woods and the Mamiya is always the one I'm going to go for not the RZ because because that one is electronic, whereas the RB is fully mechanical. There are absolutely no batteries, mm. um, unless you have the metered prism, which I don't, uh, because that's just extra weight for me. So I always use the waist level. And um, yeah, I mean, the glass is fantastic. You can preload your backs and you can actually slap them on. That one's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry for the visual. (laughs) No, you're not. (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, it's they're just they're just amazing cameras. I mean, every now and then, yeah, they can have their quirks as well. Uh, You know, I have a current issue with my 90 millimeter lens, but it's also the easiest one to replace uh, if I need to, and they're very easily fixable as well. So, Mm. hands down, those are my two top cameras. Nice. Um, I used to have an RZ67, but I, I, I sold it because, again, it wasn't reliable in, in cold weather. It was just a twitchy camera. I've noticed, I haven't looked recently, that in terms of the of pricing online, a good RB is every bit as expensive to buy as an RZ, except for the very last models of the RZ. Mm. You know, because people really appreciate the mechanical cameras. like the, the, the So the RB, people want the RB... The RZs are sort of, yeah. It's too bad you can't use the RZ lenses on an RB. Yeah. You can't do the reverse. That'd be cool. Now, when I bought my RB, um, it was actually a lot cheaper than the RZ at the time. Um, I think I paid $240 behind a Tim Hortons dumpster. How Canadian can you get? (laughs) Absolutely. And Uh, that's not all you can get me. Yeah, no. Oh, my. And it's interesting because... Um, in a episode of uh, the FPP, Matt Marosh was basically talking about the RB and the RZ, about how inexpensive they were. Mm-hmm. And after Note that episode, past tense. <laughs> they jumped in price. Big time. Big time. So, Matt Marosh, if you're listening, it's all your fault. <laughs> uh, and Midwest camera. <laughs> yeah, well, what camera hasn't jumped in price? That's true. 
Yeah, exactly. The Helena. <laughs> the Helena, yeah. I, I was I wasn't gonna go there. <laughs> Holgas? Well, no, that's not even true. Even Holgas have gone up. Yeah. I, I used to be able to find them for like five, ten, twenty bucks, and now easily fifty dollars minimum in Montreal. It's crazy. Yeah, that's about what it is. There's um, yeah. they're the website that operates out of here in Ontario, AB Collectibles, and again, there's even with shipping, you're paying fifty bucks yep. for a Holga. Yeah. More if it's camo, oh. which makes no sense to me. But yeah, I'm just trying to. Yeah, that's whatever. Um, my my pro camera hasn't jumped far from from my choice at episode one, which was the uh, Nikon F4, which is a superb camera. But and I've actually shot um, a handful of uh, paid jobs on this camera, the Nikon F5, and it's a serious jump from the F4. If you're not used to it, it is like getting out of a VW and putting yourself into the uh, seat of a Porsche. But this camera just always delivers. And it wouldn't be the one that I would uh, pick for a portrait session. But the uh, the camera just, it the autofocus is fast. The uh, metering is accurate. And I can... Uh, I can shoot it during the uh, ceremony itself and during the uh, during the se- during the reception as well, and it just always delivers. And the best part is, is that it can use every single Nikon autofocus lens out there, from the original AF, the AFD, the AFGs, the AFS. The only one it can't use is the newest, um, the uh, E-type lenses. Mm. But there's, I don't think there's any film body that can use the uh, the E-type lenses these days. And can it use the pre-AI? I think that was the last one that could. The F5. No, I can't. Was the no, F4 the last the F4 one? The F4 can. The F4 um, can use the pre-AI glass stop and stop down, but not mm-hmm. the F5. And it does have problem with AI glass. I find that it does have a problem with manual focus glass. That's why I have duplication between my manual focus and my autofocus. But the important part is that it can use the uh, G-type lenses. Because I went from going to the F5 from a D300 and getting that F5, and I had those G-type lenses. I had the 14 to 24 2.8 and the 70 to 200, and it's near perfect Mm. blend between the two. Um, but if I'm slowing down, I'm doing more portraiture where I'm just focusing on the couple. I will also choose the, uh, the Hasselblad mm. because it gives me a lot more control. And with the waist level finder, I find it's more personable with, with the couple. And I've only shot one wedding with the uh, 500C and it was fantastic. And I loved the results I got from the Hasselblad because I was in um, Kawartha Lake Settlers Village. So I was in a pioneer village setting in that historic setting and working with the Hasselblad and the Tri-X it, and, and Rodinal, it just worked. What's well, weird because I had an opportunity to try an F5. I brought my brothers. It had an AFD 51.4 on it. 
I threw some uh, Velvia 50 slide film in it. And again, it's like that illusion going from like a Volkswagen Beetle or more in my case, maybe not necessarily a Porsche, but maybe a McLaren supercar. And it just, compared to the F4, the F4 I understand, I like shooting with. The F5, I felt like I was in over my head. I never understood how you suddenly got into burst mode. Because that's no a that's either. a two step process, man. <laughs> I I really don't know. I don't know either, and that spooked me because it's like, whoa, slide film, and I lost the last half dozen frames, yeah. and I was like, oh well. <laughs> but but when it comes to lenses with the f five, it's the uh, the twenty eight to seventy, the uh, two point eight D, which is the precursor to the twenty four to seventy, two point eight G. And I've tried the two, the uh, twenty-four to seventy. The twenty-eight it doesn't have as much distortion, and it just looks better whether I'm shooting it on digital or when I'm shooting it on film. And I bring up digital for a reason because we live in the twenty-first century. There are very few people out there who would basically go like you're going to shoot my entire wedding on film? Are you crazy? So I know for a fact that there are there are at least three of us, four of us around the table who shoot who shoot digital on a regular basis. And one of the biggest reasons why I picked up a Nikon D70 at D D750 is because I could use all my Nikon lenses on it the D types I can use my AI and my AIS glass on it like near perfectly it's a seamless changeover and the one important thing and we alluded to this back in October when we introduced Jess Hobbs is why do you choose digital John uh, why do I choose digital? Um, to be honest, the digital, I would say, is when there is no, I cannot fail. I am not allowed, not allowed to fail. Um, and sometimes it's not, uh, you know, it's about artistic stuff. It's, let's say, like, I've, I've got a, a family portrait shoot coming up in a few weeks that I'm going to do. And, um, you know, it's not going to be high art. I just want to go there, do it. Have it work, have it work, um, and and digital. Or the other the other thing is, let's say if I've done theater work, or if you're shooting bar bands, and you know I'd rather, and sorry, pushing film. Yeah, it's sort of fun to push something to twenty five thousand, but sorry, especially like the newer cameras that you know that you can shoot at five thousand, ten thousand, ISO, twelve thousand eight hundred, twelve thousand, and get very usable results. So it's, you know. There are times you, you, you just don't want to suffer for uh, suffer for your art. Yeah, I, I I completely agree. I mean, I this is in no way any attempt uh, or comment on film versus digital. Um, there's not one is better than the other. So, I mean, if you're going to have a, an argument about film versus digital, well, there are benefits to both, and the benefit of Digital photography, especially, at least in my experience, when shooting people, is you have to understand portraiture is a partnership between photographer and subject. 
Um, and the most powerful photographs are are capturing people in the state of their emotion, the photographer's emotion, and the connection between those two people. Now that that connection could be something that um, is a little bit more contrived, maybe. Maybe the photographer was, um, uh, you know, coaching the subject because that subject required coaching to take a good photograph. Um, you know, what we have to remember about photography when it comes to people is we never see our true selves uh, when we look in a mirror. The way light works is we see the reverse image of ourselves. It's not until we see a photograph that we actually see um, ourselves the way the rest of the world sees mm -hmm. us. Um, and that can be a shocker for a lot of people. And why people say that they have, uh, they've never taken a good photograph or no one's ever taken a good photograph of them is because most of the time they're not working with somebody that has the skills to get them into that conversation of what, how, of what makes them look good, what mm. makes them feel good. And the reason why this ties back to digital is because you can turn that camera around and instantly bring joy to that subject's face. Yes. You can get them involved in that process and, and show them, you know what, you really are beautiful. You know, you may not think so because, hey, no one's been able to take a good photograph of you. Um, but digital allows you to do that. And, um, you know, and, and I, look, at the end of the day, for some photographers, it's all about them. It's all about the photographer. For other photographers, it's all about the subject and the image. Absolutely. I think once I'd say the difference between a pro photographer and an amateur, and, and, and I'm an amateur, like I, I admit it, I do the occasional pro work. Is nothing wrong with amateur. No, no you amateur, have to remember where it comes yeah, it's from. It's Latin for to do for love. Um, yeah. I think a, a pro photographer, for them, it's about the, it's about getting the picture. It's not about the camera. And for a lot of amateurs, you know, and it can just be about the camera. The camera is so cool, or I got the new camera. The uh, the pro photographer, all they care about is will this camera deliver. If, it's, if it does, great, I will use it until it stops delivering, and then I'll get something else. They have a very sort of almost disposable They're attitude. They'll, they, yeah, tools. Yep. And tools they will change. need to be replaced over time. Yeah, like, like when the, the Nikon F2 came out, a lot of Nikon F pro shooters said, over my dead body, if they were slow to adopt the F2. When the F3 came out, the same thing. The same photographers who took years to go to the F2 said over my dead body because they are an innately conservative bunch it's all about risk avoidance and guaranteeing of quality not to mention when the f4 came out oh yeah <laughs> well and you got to remember too these are business people they are people in business who take photographs for a living and if you think about what a company goes through if they need to retool their technology infrastructure or you know, they. You think about car manufacturing. They what goes into a car manufacturer having to retool an assembly line? There's a lot of risk and a lot of cost. So, you know, it's it's not surprising that most people in business that rely on equipment are resistant to change when that equipment changes. And it comes down to, I've shot my family on film. I've used my four by five on my two eldest nieces in preparation for them getting their portraits taken by Brian Caparici, who 
ended up using a Rolleiflex, which is nothing like a Crown Graphic, and they were perfect for it. But I always bring my digital to family gatherings. Like, hardly ever do I think like, oh yeah, I should buy a couple of uh, rolls of uh, T-Max P3200 and uh, take photos of my uh, niece and nephew tearing around the house. I'll bring my D750 and my 51.4. I've gotten some brilliant shots out of that that I know I could not as easily capture on film. So, yeah, we are a group of film shooters, but we recognize that digital is a reality. And for Jess, it's like you do YouTube all the time, so I can't imagine you pumping out the same quality and same YouTube videos if you shot it on 16 millimeter. I mean, I'd love to. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Uh, um, but uh, I also don't have the wallet <laughs> that would allow me to do that. Uh, but yeah, no, um, for sure, digital cameras have changed cinematography. And as much as I love watching old movies that were shot on actual film or wa- even new ones that are still coming out every now and then or TV shows, um, whether we like it or not, digital has changed that whole sphere. And it has made YouTube a very viable outlet for a lot of us. Um, so, you know, without digital cameras, I couldn't do what I do. Yeah. For sure. And it allows a single person to be camera person, editor, audio person, yeah. producer. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong here. I've got Jody behind me <laughs> the whole like the whole way. And I envy um, you for yeah. that. <laughs> and yeah, I think poor John <laughs> after filming for me this weekend uh, has a, has a I guess a new respect. <laughs> 100% agree to that. <laughs> um, but but yeah, no there's there's no way I could do what I do and even just being able to sometimes to connect with people, grabbing my smartphone and doing a quick Instagram story is a great way to get in touch with people. Absolutely. And to get people engaged in what I'm doing. Um, so they also become these really crazy t- like tools to reaching a wider audience, even as a professional photographer. I mean, you could absolutely, James, grab your phone, do a quick little story as you're at a wedding. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Maybe the couple getting married would be like, hey, <laughs> is, no, that, is that part I've of the package? It, I've done it before. But yeah, you know, same you here. Can, yeah. You can reach out to people in a whole new way that's kind of really fascinating not to be not to mention being able to reach out to the different guests and help the couple reach out to the guests especially if they basically say hey look if you're going to shoot on your smartphone like stay out of the way of the professional yes right but put this tag on your posts and then they can go back or hey look we've set up this dropbox like put all your photos in there yeah and on the other hand um Jody and I went to a friend's birthday party a few years ago. It was his 30th birthday, and we rented a chalet in um, uh, just outside of Tremblant. And it was just before Christmas, so they had this nice little Christmas tree in the corner oh, and everything. Yeah. Um, and to document his 30th birthday, we brought our Instax printer that you can connect through your phone, like through the Wi-Fi connection, 
And so all weekend long, we said, here's the password, take photos. We printed them out and we put them all in the tree like little decorations. Awesome. And then gave him all the photos at the end of his 30th birthday party. So also on film, like a really fun way of taking digital and making it into film. Absolutely. And and then there's people like uh, Bill Schwab, who's up in the... uh, up in uh, Harbor Springs in Michigan and not in the UP more tip of the mitt. And he is a fantastic photographer and he does everything from like wet plate to producing presets for photoshops for creating digital negatives and then doing like platinum palladium and cyanotype prints so even within the traditional analog community, there is a place for digital. And I think that is one thing that is that needs to be addressed is the idea that both have places. We are all photographers. Medium doesn't matter. Well, you know what? Another year has gone by. Uh, it's been a much better 2021 compared to 2020. Amen. I hope uh, all of our listeners out there have uh, um, been healthy and uh, are doing well. And uh, you know, we don't we haven't really done this before, but you know, let's uh, let's raise a glass to those that are no longer with us, which seems to be you know kind of a reality with everything that's been going on the last couple of years. So we're thinking about you, and we're thinking about the people that are still here, and we hope you're all doing well and looking forward to. Uh, what we hope is going to be an incredible uh, 2022. We're thankful to have you all as listeners. And um, uh, I'd just like to say, uh, again, welcome, Jess. It's, a, it's been awesome having you here for the, for the remainder of, uh, of 2020. And we're looking forward, um, oh, pardon me, 2021. And we're looking forward to uh, having you here as a permanent fixture. And um, you know what? Get out there. It doesn't matter if it's film, if it's digital, if it's your phone. Get out there. Be a be a preservationist. Preserve those memories. Share them with the people that you love. Um, we're not going to be here forever. Get out there and be happy and be kind to each other. Yeah, it's Bill Smith. I just want to wish everyone all the best of the holiday season. I uh, Wow, 2021. It has been a strange year. I'm glad it's over. 2022 is going to be a great year. I Again, I cannot wel- uh, enough welcome Jess Hobbs to the team. Uh, we're just going to have a blast. <laughs> Jess Hobbs here. Uh Thank you guys again so much for welcoming me into the CCR family. This is a great way to end off uh, 2021, uh, which has incidentally been a slightly crappy year for me, but I'm really looking forward to 2022 and all the wonderful things that can come. So everyone just grab those workhorses and get out there. And this is John Meadows. And again, that uh, I will repeat what everyone else has said. Jess, it's amazing to have your energy and your enthusiasm on board because let's face it, the energy and the enthusiasm is the most important thing for this or any other hobby. Yeah, it's been a weird time. There have been a lot of changes, a lot of challenges, both in everything from cameras breaking down to people losing loved ones. So it's important to keep things in perspective and a lot of change but uh, we can also look at things that haven't changed our love for creating images our love for the community 
and hanging out with friends and family and feeling good about what we're doing with uh, with film cameras. I think that's the most important thing. And so again, a lot of things have changed. One thing that will not change is we are keeping going. This show is not going anywhere. So we'll talk to you next time because we're coming back. And this is Alex Oaks. Thank you. <laughs>